This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. It's Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Friday, January the 25th. I'm your host, D.A. And every year, one of the hottest topics in January is not the NFL playoffs. It's not the NBA regular season. It's not baseball's hot stove. It's the Hall of Fame. And we've talked about it already this week. The guys that got into the Hall of Fame this year, including Mariano Rivera unanimously, and the guys that did not, like we talked about yesterday, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and other steroid users. But how about a guy that might have been kept out because of politics? Kurt Schilling had 216 wins in his career. He was sterling in the World Series a number of times. He's one of the great big game postseason pitchers ever. But his politics have been controversial. The former Red Sox pitcher joined Mutt and Callahan on WEEI Radio in Boston. And he says it's all about his politics. You say you don't get caught up in it, but I'll use uh, Shaughnessy we'll talk about here. But he voted for you years ago, then decided because of something not on the field, you're no longer, in his mind, a Hall of Famer. That doesn't frustrate you? Uh, Well, again, no, because – and here's why. I I was um, – it was – I want to say it was right before I got uh, traded – away from Philadelphia. I was in Philadelphia, and it was the year... I, I don't remember what year Nolan Ryan was up on the ballot. Um, but a writer uh, who who is in the in the Hall of Fame uh, and, and turns out was a really, really bad guy c- came into the clubhouse that day and told me and, and announced out loud, you know, I didn't vote for Nolan Ryan for the Hall of Fame. And, and it was one of those things where I looked at him kind of like, what, you know, what the hell are you talking about? And he said, well, if Don Sutton didn't get in unanimously, then no one doesn't deserve to either. And I said, well, hold on a second. I mean, you're, you're passing judgment on a 27-year career of one of the greatest pitchers that ever lived, and you're doing so because of some, I mean, something that has nothing to do with him or had it, you know. And so I got into this discussion, debate, and argument. And at that point, I realized, you know what, this is something that is completely subjective. It's It's... You know, I, and I don't want to, I don't want to diminish what the Hall of Fame means, but you know, the same guys that that vote for for the well, and I said this the other day. Remember, back when Bonds and Clemens were doing their thing, and these writers were voting for them for the MVP and the Cy Young. Those same writers are now not voting for them for the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, you don't get caught. You, you, you can't. Yeah, I'm at a point in life where I can't, I can't allow things, and I never have. Um, you can't allow allow things to what bother you. It doesn't yeah. bother you when you I don't hear know how you do it, man. when you hear my friend Dan Shaughnessy question your character. That well, doesn't bother again, you. I know Dan Shaughnessy, and and, and you know the, the baseball writers have. <laughs> you know I, I know them. I I, I mean I the, the 
time now where the left has managed to marginalize me and the media in a way that that is in in many ways if you were it's it's weird people dismiss me out of hand as a racist i've never said anything racist in my life ever i mean that the power of the media and their ability to create uh or or make people into something they aren't you know, I mean, it, it, it's where we live and where we are. But people like Dan Shaughnessy, I mean, when you understand how, how bad some of these people are, you, you, another reason not to get worked up. All right, so is it? When we look at his career, his playoff career record is amazing. 11-2 and two with a 2.23 ERA. When you needed a big spot in a big game, Schilling always delivered. But in the regular season, his record is much more pedestrian. Just 216 and 146 with a three and a half ERA. His regular season ERA more than a run worse than his postseason and zero Cy Young Awards, six All-Star appearances. So it's not like he's a slam dunk Hall of Famer. Dan Shaughnessy, who Schilling just called out, longtime Boston Globe columnist, who has been on the record as saying, yes, I do not vote for Kurt Schilling, and part of that is his politics, heard Schilling and said, I'm jumping in to answer for myself. Here is Shaughnessy on WEEI Radio in Boston. Thanks for bumping me to the top of the call list. I was driving to um, <laughs> get my morning papers. I'm the old guy who goes to 7-Eleven and gets all the papers. And just, stuff like J- just like Jerry, yep, understood, yeah, yep. So like, like everybody. That. And, I mean, just, just so we're clear, I mean, so – yeah, I, I will allow that Kurt's character is not helping his cause with me. He's a bubble candidate, okay? So uh, I think about 200 guys did not vote for him this year. And Kurt's got to stop with this, that it's all because of his politics. I mean... But my point is, Dan, when Kurt says it's politics, you voted for him in the past when he said vote Bush. There's a big difference between saying vote Bush and, as you mentioned, pushing Parkland conspiracies and QAnon. Right. Yeah, I mean, lynching is not a political issue. Right. You know, it's, it, it's, it's just a joke. It's QAnon. And so I, I, I do think it would help him if he went and stood in the corner for a year. I think it would help his chances with some of the voters. It might help with me. I'm not saying the only reason I don't vote for him is because of his off-the-rails character, which is off-the-rails. He needs to rein it in, and in my view. But I'm sorry that that makes me a bad person in his world. I really don't think there's 200 other bad people who didn't vote for Kurt. Maybe he should call all them out, too, because it's not some unanimous guy that everyone is withholding because of his quote-unquote politics. Uh, but, but a phony narrative. I would like to see him behave better. And Here's the thing. If he cleans not, up his behavior in your mind, you might vote for him for the Baseball Hall of Fame? That sounds yeah, crazy. Because yeah, it's not menace, it's menace to society material. I The Hall of Fame is an honor. I am not honoring a guy who's on QAnon, who says Adam Jones is a racist. But, he's, but it was good enough for you to vote for him yeah. three years ago. As well, it was four or five years. As was Steve Garvey, I, I, and I may come back to him someday. I would like if him he to behaves be, himself. I would like him yeah. to not Take be a year off. society for a couple of years. I think it would help. <laughs> I, I choose not to honor him at this particular time for multiple reasons. Is it all about the politics? No, I don't think so. I think that a lot of it has to do with the actual resume itself. But certainly, Schilling doesn't help himself by dabbling in really controversial politics, very polarizing politics, and sometimes what feels like stances of hate. And this is not exactly the type of climate where hate plays so well in sports, as we understand. So for Kurt Schilling, he can play the victim of politics, politics, politics. I think it has a lot to do with his resume as well on the field. How about the politics of football? 
but not actually in the government, the politics in the league office. We know how bad that non-pass interference call was that did not go against the Rams last weekend, which helped Los Angeles end up winning that ball game. Roger Goodell and the league office has yet to issue any statements. And people are upset, including morning show host Angelo Cataldi on WIP Radio in Philly. I invested a year of fandom in this season. And now I know that the final game will not determine the winner because an official blew a call. Blew a big time. That, to me, is horrific. It's horrifying. It's awful. I need some closure from the league. Here's the closest I got to it. Right after the game, Sean Payton, the coach of the Saints who got screwed, comes out, and he did get word from the uh, actual NFL. Here's what he got. It's frustrating, you know, just getting off the phone with the league office. It was simple. They blew the call. They said it should never have not been a call. They said not only was it interference, it was helmet to helmet. There were two calls. They just they couldn't believe it. All right. I can't believe it. And then I went, all right. Now, the media was told. This is what I can tell you because I've been following this meticulously by many websites, prominently ProFootballTalk.com because ProFootballTalk.com is all over this stuff. Mike Florio, he lives football out. Mm -hmm. They don't miss a trick. Nope. All right? And the media was told after Peyton said that, that the NFL would be providing an official statement Mm -hmm. on what had happened that they missed the call. All right? And then nothing, no statement was ever made. No statement was made. Within uh, three days, here's what happened within three days. Two Saints fans filed a federal lawsuit against the NFL for not doing what they were supposed to at a play. That's going nowhere, but it it represents the frustration of their fan base. Then a congressman, Cedric Redman, actually called for a congressional hearing. Shades (laughs) of all inspector and Spygate. And he wants Congress to actually interrogate Roger Goodell. But guess what? No Roger Goodell anywhere. No Roger Goodell anywhere. So now I'm going to take you back, Al, to something you remember very well. It's three years ago, right? <laughs> right. Deflategate. Yep. Oh, yeah. He's at his annual news conference at the Super Bowl. Yep. Howard Eskin's there. Remember Howard Eskin interrogating the, the, uh, the uh, commissioner? Yes. He wants to know why the commissioner isn't available during controversies. Listen to this. I understand the obligation of my job to meet with the media. I don't know whether I meet with them in a press conference every week, but I'm available to the media uh, almost every day of my job professionally. Uh, so we, we try to make ourselves available on a very regular basis. It is my responsibility. It's my job. And I will do that. John Johnson. <laughs> Oh, no, Judge Ezra, that is not intended as a laugh line. How can you make that statement, have the worst call in the history of your league, and hide for five days? We haven't heard a peep from him, have we? Not a peep, not a word, not official, unofficial, nothing. And I guarantee you you if this was a player, they would be all over him for not saying something. Right. Now, this is not our fight. We're Philadelphia. But I'm sorry. If you love football, I love football. Hollis loves football. 
And to call it the bang-bang play, how the hell is the ball four yards away oh from the guy God. before you even get there? Not only that, right. you helmet-to-helmet helmet contact. Right. It was three penalties. Helmet-to-helmet helmet contact, a defensive receiver, and passing yeah, interference. I know, it's three and you, penalties. And you, when you look at it, it's like, you look at it, it's like, how can you say that's bang-bang when the ball was not even close to the, to the receiver? I'm still angry. It's five days later. I need somebody to talk. Somebody <laughs> to talk right now. <laughs> Now, why is Goodell quiet? I think Goodell is quiet because he and the league knows if they issue a statement, it has to be that the officials got the call wrong. And if they say that, it opens up the debate about whether the wrong team is in the glamour event in all of sports. And the NFL does not want to call into question one of the two participants in the Super Bowl. The NFL has taken this tact before. Ray Rice... Don't say anything. Let's hope that it goes away. And then, of course, public sentiment swelled and public anger was palpable and the NFL had to say something. But normally their play is run, hide, hide under a rock, go silent until you absolutely have to say something. And in this case, they know they don't have to because next week starts the hype train for Super Bowl 53. I need somebody to talk. Right now. Will it be a tipping point in terms of being able to challenge judgment calls like pass interference? Well, on the morning show with John freaking Hugh Douglas in Atlanta, 92-9 the game, Rich McKay is chairman of the competition committee. So what do you say, Rich? Now, Rich, I know you're tired of hearing about it, but but what is the NFL going to do about this egregious, this egregious penalty that was missed in the Rams Saints game, are they going to discuss it at all? We're we just going to kind of let it go by the wayside. Uh, Hugh, it will not go by the wayside. It'll certainly get discussed. Um, every every year, you know, there's a handful of plays that that merit discussion. That you know, whether they happen in the regular season, whether they happen in the postseason, whether they happen in you know an NFC Championship game, and usually they're plays that you know either we hadn't contemplated or we have contemplated, but then we have to go back and rethink. And I think in this one. You'll see teams, um, the way the process works, you, you'll see teams make rules, recommendations. You'll see teams in our um, survey to all the clubs, which is currently out there now, they'll, they'll voice their concerns and want us as a committee, competition committee, to look into a certain area, which could include this, um, this no call late in the game. Uh, so I, I think that the way I look at it is nothing should be off the table. You should consider everything. Mm-hmm. At no time is the NFL rule book um, set for life. Uh, I think you've seen that over, you know, over the course of the years. I've certainly seen it in my years on the committee. Um, so it's something that merits discussion. It will be interesting to see what the ideas are. Um, we this system, this replay system, uh, has served us i I would say well Uh, i would say at times it's been challenging because it's it's a very complicated system and the more you add to it the more complicated it becomes um but it was there in the early days to to correct the obvious error on the big play and 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 this is a big play and was an error that that when you watch it most people would say occurred uh and clearly the league office and talking to coach payton uh, that was what Al had talked to Coach Payton about. So, to me, it merits the discussion. Um, it, it, we, sh- we shouldn't go in with any preconceived notion. I would tell you that it's complicated. It's not easy. There's no easy, oh, we'll just do this, um, and then uh, not worry about the uh, repercussions to the game. You're always going to worry about that. You know, Rich, I know if you're like the mindset like me, no one play 
uh, decides the outcome of a game. It, it, it's been like that since I played, and it's been like that forever. But could you argue that this one play could have potentially be the one that decided the outcome of the game? Well, so so you could flip it on it. You can Hugh, you can flip it either way. The way you just said it, right? I mean, I go back to our championship game uh, against uh, the Forty ers uh, that we lost in the dome, uh, you know, in uh, probably January of 2013, wasn't it? The 2012, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, we felt like Navarro Bowman committed interference. He said after the game he committed interference against Roddy White on fourth down. Was that the play of the game? Uh, maybe, but you know what? We had another play to Harry Douglas that we threw to him that that he caught and fell down. He doesn't fall down. We probably win the game on that play. So, so th- I, we, you know, we kind of took the position after the game. Hey, there's a few more plays in this game that we could have made. Um, it probably wouldn't have let it come down to that play uh, with Roddy trying to run the crosser on fourth down. So it, it, you can argue it either way. It, was it a critical play at a critical time? Absolutely. Nobody should debate that. There's an easy solution here. Not every play has to be reviewable. Not every penalty has to be reviewable or challengeable. In the final five minutes of the game, where the final five minutes of both halves allow the coaches a challenge of a judgment call. In this case, Sean Payton challenges. You know it's reversed, and we get the call right. Doesn't have to be every single one, but outside of five minutes, the play is not likely to define the entire game. But in this case, it certainly did. That, to me, is the easiest solution. More fallout in Pittsburgh surrounding Antonio Brown and a very controversial end to the Pittsburgh Steelers season. There's been people around Pittsburgh that think Mike Tomlin's going to hold on to A.B. and they're just going to go about their merry way as long as he's productive. But can Mike Tomlin look at his locker room in the face with a straight face and have any leadership credibility if that happens? The PM team on 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh weigh in. Can Mike Tomlin have Antonio Brown back on the team next year? If A.B. is here... Isn't it going to make Tomlin look like he's about three inches tall? You're a th- he has no authority. He can't get Antonio Brown in line. He's known as this player's coach who one of his strongest talents and abilities is supposedly being able to communicate with and inspire his players to play for him and play well. He can't get in touch with A.B. He won't answer his calls. And he's blown off Tomlin or disrespected Tomlin repeatedly. If A.B.'s back, I think Tomlin's going to look like a schmuck. He'll look especially bad because he's on the record saying stuff like if you if you produce at a different level, you get treated a different way. And then it'll be the ultimate instance of him having to eat those words some more and and chew on whatever A.B. throws at him. If you're asking me if it's got to be a one or the other proposition, it probably it feels like it does to some degree with the coach. It does. Like, I think wh- how he's viewed by the rest of that team is sort of the rest of that team's purview. Like, they've got to f- make their own decisions about whether they respect Mike Tomlin but it certainly wouldn't help if Antonio Brown was welcomed back into the flock here and continued to just be the exact same. It really didn't even do anything differently towards Mike Tomlin. The damage would have been done. Mike Tomlin gave him an inch and he took a mile. And and I'm sure from his own perspective, he has to think, what do these guys think of me? 
I've let AB do his thing. I, I've tried to not only Antonio, tried but to other coddle him. other players and coaches have shown up late for walkthroughs, and the discipline hasn't been think, consistent. Do you think Mike Tomlin cares that guys have shown up late, like the other the coaches, Olsavsky? Porter Bell not showing up before the Jacks or showing up late before Jacksonville. Eli do you Rogers. It, do you think it bothers him? I would like to think so, but do we have occasionally he has sat down a guy like Artie Burns? That's easy to sit down Artie Burns because he's not good. But Mike Tom, I, to some degree, Mike Tomlin has proven that not just with AB but with everybody, if you're really good, you're going to get treated preferentially here. And to an extent, I understand that. The last guy on the roster, I think Pouncey once said it, shouldn't get treated the same as Ben. But Mike Tomlin has probably taken that to an extreme. And I think he has decided, he, instead of just saying, I can still be a disciplinarian to some degree and be a player's coach, he's decided to go full player's coach. Like, eh, I'll hardly ever discipline anyone that matters. Yeah, I don't see how Mike Tomlin can do that. I agree with the guys. You are going to try to hold guys accountable. And now here's Antonio Brown, who quit on the team in week 17 of what amounted to be a Steeler playoff game. Win, and you're in potentially. You've got to win to get in. And here he is going AWOL, and somehow you're going to allow him back in the locker room and as a head coach feel like you're not going to be stepped on consistently by other guys. If A.B.'s back, I think Tomlin's going to look like a schmuck. I don't see how you do it. I think it's a mistake if Mike Tomlin brings him back. But the Steelers... Hey, seems like they're not completely confident that they're going to cut bait with this guy, not just yet, which seems insane to me. And finally in Cleveland, hopes are high. John Dorsey, the general manager, joined Adam the Bull and Dustin Fox, a 92-3 the fan in Cleveland. He's got a franchise quarterback. He's got good young players on defense. He's got a hot end to the season, and he's got a new head coach in Freddie Kitchens. What do you think, Freddie? Is he the man? John, we have said that, that it feels like you and Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield, although of different generations, are all kind of cut from the same cloth. Is that is that fair? Well, I mean, we all love the game of football. Um, we all love the, the traditions of football. We all love the Cleveland Browns organization. Um if if that's if that's cut from the same cloth, you know what? I'm proud I'm associated with those guys because genuinely all all of us uh, love being in Cleveland and, and you know we're trying to do something here um, and, and make everybody proud. The fans are obviously very excited right now, John. There's a lot of promise, more than there's been, and and there's the promise of sustained success, which Cleveland has not had since Bernie Kosar was a quarterback, and that's a long time ago, as you know. Uh, obviously, you know, the fans are concerned because in the past there's been problems with continuity. It seems like the power structure has been streamlined. Are you happy with the current power structure of the team? Well, in terms of the past, you know, I, I think we all learn from the past. I think that's great wisdom. I think we live in the present, but let's build for the future. So what is that? I mean, that's check your ego in at the door, roll your sleeves up every day. And let's get this thing right. And so what you got to do is you take that mindset to work every day and let's just go to work and let's roll. I mean, that's, it's, it's, you know, we're lucky to have this. I don't even call it a job. I mean, I'm still part of the you know, Cleveland Browns and national football league. How cool is that? And, you know, enjoy it every day. Embrace the moment. John, you know, going back to your, your comments on cut from the same cloth is, 
you know, all you guys are football guys and all that. How much did Freddie's relationship with Baker help him get the job? Well, I, I, you know, it, it, it was one part of it. I mean, there were multiple uh, – there were multiple things involved in this process. Was it the organizational tenets that we set forward as a committee? Um, was it uh, Freddie's resume on display at the same time? Uh, we felt that the list of qualified candidates that we have was really a good list. And it just so happened that Freddie was the right guy. His vision is was was wonderful just to listen to him and just – and in the direction we're headed, I couldn't be more pleased with uh, with Hedick, I mean, Freddie right now. Yeah, I spent a few minutes with him uh, down here in Mobile, and 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 I got to say, it's the first time I got a chance to talk to him, and and he's just really authentic. And, and I'm guessing that you guys felt that in the interview process as well. No, he's he's very he's very genuine. He's very passionate about yeah. the game. He's got depth of knowledge uh, for the game of football, and. Um, he he truly has galvanized um, that side of the ball and put guys in position to make plays and and that's all you can ask for and and you know his ability to call the game was on display for eight games and I thought the the offense uh, would have ranked up in the top ten of, of offenses with, with his play calling over those over that time period. John, we got to ask you about the Seth Wickersham article which came out today. I don't know if you read it, but uh, a lot of it is news that we kind of already knew. We know there's been a lot of turnover in this franchise and you know a lot of dissension at times between front office and coaching staff. Was there anything in that article, if you did read it, or in, in Jimmy Haslam's past that gave you pause when you took the job or maybe today? You know, I've been with this organization, what, for the, for the 13 months, 12 months? Yeah. And it's been awesome. And it starts at top with ownership. Um, and listen, you know, what I like to say is these guys, they are so supportive and they will, I mean, they, they give us every resource we want. You know, when we sit in meetings, you know, the one question they always say at the end, what can we do? Is there anything we can do to help you guys? Is there anything you need? I mean, that's all you can ask for with ownership, you know, and they deeply care now about the people in this community. They care about this team and the people in this organization. I couldn't be prouder um, to say, but I, I'm, you know, I work for the Cleveland Browns, and all I know is this: Jimmy and D Haslam. I, I have a immense respect for these people. Been a long time since Browns fans have been able to feel good about their football team, but what's not to like right now? Like I said, I am plotting right now. Quarterback, young players on defense, one of the youngest rosters in the NFL, solid veteran GM, and supposedly one of the most desirable head coaching vacancies of the NFL that was eventually filled by a guy that Baker Mayfield has a great relationship with. Oh, my God, I love it. Feels like that's a pretty good combination. But, boy, it's been a long time since we could see the Browns and count on them to be good and then deliver on being good. Will they sneak up on anybody next year? Let's see. Can Freddie Kitchens go from lower-tier assistant coach on the staff to head coach in just one calendar year? And is he the right man for the job? Freddie Kitchens, is this you? There's finally high hopes by the lake. And now they've got to deliver on those high hopes. That's the best of your sports talk for Friday, January the 25th. Next week, it's Radio Row and Super Bowl week. So plenty of action coming down, I'm sure, from radio stations all across the country. I'm DA. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. 
Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.